hello, beautiful. And what I'd really like to know is what is good in your life today? This is Kia with another episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. And as you know, I am sponsored by Grunt Style. And you can check them out at gruntstyle.com and go see their apparel for men, women, and children. Everything from hunting gear to workout gear to just chill clothes to hang around in. This is where I got my Navy t-shirt from. They are official with the armed forces. So you can go get your branch and represent like I do. And uh, lots of other cute, fun t-shirts, especially if you love guns. They have lots of stuff for gun lovers and more. So go check them out at grunstyle.com and get 10% off your first order if you use code Baker. That's my last name, B-A-K-E-R. And today I have with me someone really special. She is actually my second guest who worked for the United States Health Service, the Public Health Service. And so we're going to learn a lot more about that today. But before that, she did seven years in the Air Force, and I'm really excited to talk to Karma about her story of military service. So welcome, Karma. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So let's jump right into it. What made you join the military? Well, I was uh, already a fully qualified dietitian. So I had gone to school, had the school loans to prove it. (laughs) And then I I did a year long internship that was underpaid, way underpaid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I got my first job as a registered dietitian and I worked in a civilian hospital for two years. So I was working and I was having a hard time finding full-time work. So I worked part-time for two years and I got a postcard in the mail from an Air Force recruiter saying they needed dietitians. And it kind of came at the just the right time because I was having some marital difficulty as well. So I thought, well, you know, I'll sign up and if I don't like it after three years, they'll move me back home. So it was just perfect timing in my life to try something new, to get full-time work and, and to experience something new. I'd lived in the Midwest all of my life. So that was kind of the prompt to, to join the military. And there's so many of us joined the military to see something different. It's ironic that you joined to leave the Midwest and the Midwest is where I went. Served my whole military career, but I'm from the East Coast. So it was a big change for me to different weather, different people, like a different culture to go be by Chicago coming from Philadelphia. So it was very different, but that's all I got to see. I didn't get to see more. Did you get to see more? Yeah. Well, actually I had put on my dream sheet. I wanted to be stationed someplace warm and someplace near the water. And so I was stationed in Biloxi, Mississippi and Panama City, Florida. So it was perfect. I was stationed all along the Gulf Coast for my nice. two tours. Yeah. Nice. I, I see I wasn't thinking. <laughs> my my primary goal was to stay with my friends. And we knew that um Chicago was a really strict base that a lot of people didn't want to go to. So it was number one on our dream sheet to see if we could stay together. Although I think Reed might have not put Chicago because she went to California <laughs> and, and me and my girl, Susanna uh, Schoenlieber, we ended up in Chicago and, but it worked out well because we ended up being roommates as when we became staff and, you know, all of that stuff. So our plan kind of worked, but our third, our third girl, 
actually never saw again, which is kind of sad, but the military, the military has a way of doing that in a way. So what was boot camp like for you? Uh, boot camp. I don't know if you can even really call it that. <laughs> it was for, it was for fully qualified officers. So they, they had doctors, they had lawyers, they had mm-hmm. nurses that were coming in fully qualified. And I was in the second class, this is 1996. So mm-hmm. a while ago, but we were in the second class of a time frame where they were expanding. So it used to be a two-week training program, basic mm-hmm. training. And then they increased it to four weeks because they found that people, when they got out, they didn't know how to wear their uniform right. And they were just trying to get us to be more military, I guess. <laughs> hold on, so hold we, on, hold on, hold on. I have to stop you because <laughs> my brain is about to explode. Okay. So I know that you went to the Air Force. And you're to the Air Force. And and this is their sort of officer training. And you said it was two weeks long originally? Well, it, originally it was two weeks. And I was in class where they increased it to four weeks. So the one I went through was four weeks of basic training. And then we had three day, three additional days of field medical training. So it was four weeks and three days is what I went through. That still feels like a light load. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... I hesitated to share this, but we we lodged in the VOQ. So I I shared, I mean, I had my own room and I shared a bathroom with one other person and they made our beds for us. So I What? What? We were staying in the queue. So what is happening? That's not boot camp. That's not even field training. <laughs> not the ones I've heard on this show. <laughs> so you know what? I always tell yeah, girls so, when they they ask me to where, what should they do if they join the military. I say think about the Air Force and think about an op being going as an officer. And now I'm feeling really justified <laughs> that recommendation. Well, I mean, I I did pay my own school, so that yeah. was kind of the trade off. So oh, I think they were doing their best to try to not irritate the. I mean, occasionally they would have a surgeon that was fully qualified that wanted to come in. And so they were trying to get them up to speed on what it was like to be an officer and yet, you know, take care of the people who had already paid their own way to get their schooling. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's different officer trainings and these were ones, this was the one for the fully qualified. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. See, this is why I do this show. <laughs> so I can learn everything there is to know. So it, that's interesting. So what was it like for you other than, you know, easy? <laughs> what, what, did, what did you experience oh, we, today? We, we did have PT that we did. A lot of it was kind of on your own and self-monitored. We, we did have to do the the mandatory runs. We had one at the beginning, one in the middle and one at the end we had to do as a group, but the remainder of PT was kind of on our own. We had a lot, it was a lot of death by PowerPoint. It was a lot of learning just air force history and how to wear uniforms. And we had some marching involved. So there was that. Um, so we, we had to start our days really early five, five thirty, and mm-hmm. They had incorporated some more of the training with TI. So we had some people that yelled at us a little bit. So you kind of got the boot camp. Got a little bit of that flavor. Yeah. I think we got a lot more than in a two-week training version. I can imagine. I can imagine they added some weeks so you could get more of it. (laughs) Yeah. I think the hardest part for me was 
I don't know if it was week three or week four, but they put us in our smaller classrooms with our flights. And then they turned on the movie 12 o'clock high, <laughs> the World War II movie, and it turned off the lights. And the hardest part was staying awake, I think. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I, I can definitely imagine. We had to, we would have to stand. So if you could, and for, for me in boot camp, well, obviously Navy boot camp is also considered easier con- compared to like Marine and Army boot camp, right? And we did a lot of classwork. Yeah. And I was enlisted. So it wasn't officer training school or anything like that. I apologize if you hear my son screaming in the background, but you know, I do this at home and it is what it is. So anyway, we had to stand and we would get up. I think we were up by four or four 30 at the latest, if I remember correctly. And we had a lot of marching and we, because I was in a 900 company, which was a specialty company. It was, um, half guys, half girls in the same company. We also did trick marching. And so for, we put on the, the sort of boot camp graduation. That's what our company did. So some people went to go to um, work in the galley for a week. We didn't do that, but we put on every single boot camp graduation every single week, right? So we did a lot of trick marching to impress you know, the parents and stuff. And we put on these performances. So there was tons of marching, tons of PT, but lots and lots of classwork. And that's what I always say was the surprise for me because I didn't expect there to be so much classwork and learning the military history and how to put on uniform and all that stuff. And we did watch a lot of, of sort of slides and, (laughs) and movies and stuff like that as well, if I remember correctly. And it was very hard to stay awake. It was, especially that first week, it was like murder (laughs) trying to stay awake. And so they would say, if you start getting sleepy stand, right. And so you'd see people trying to stand and then it was still hard to stay awake, even standing. So I definitely understand and feel that vibe of trying to stay awake and watch this stuff. And it's so utterly, I mean, I liked naval history. That was probably my favorite part because I just like anything that has to do with history. But it was really difficult, a lot of those classes. You know, I feel that. When they turn that movie on and the lights, they turn the lights out and turn that movie on. And I thought, there's no way. I'm just not going to make it. (laughs) We were torturing you. That was like a technique, that thing. That was like some sort of programming strategy right there. (laughs) Super psychological. Because I mean, really, all the lights out, a World War II movie and, I mean, an old one. <laughs> I need to go back and see that because it felt like it was three hours. I don't know how long it was, but I need to go back and watch that. <laughs> now I want to watch it. So tell me, did you make a lot of connections while you were training those four weeks? I would say that while we were there, our flight was really tight and we had a, a connection list and such, just a mailing list, but we we didn't really keep in touch after that, no. Well, I mean, it was a different time. You and I went in in the 90s, in the mid 90s. So it was so much harder than it is today to keep in touch with people. You mm-hmm. know, there was no Facebook. <laughs> there was no, there was none of that. It was barely email, you know? So it was really hard to keep in touch with me. I didn't have the opportunity to keep in touch with anybody from my boot camp either, which I'm always sad about. But where did you go after, after training was done? 
after that training in Alabama, then I went to Mississippi for my first duty station. And I was at Keesler Air Force Base and I worked in the hospital there. So I did clinical work, which is what I had been doing before. So I, I really felt like I was doing the same kind of work, just wearing a uniform and then, you know, with the occasional early morning recall, phone call and exercises, for the most part, I was doing a lot of the same kind of work that I did prior. I feel that too, you know, because once I became staff, after boot camp, I went to a school, I was in the hospital corps. So I also worked in the hospital and I went, my first duty station on uh, Great Lakes was at the branch medical clinic and I was in the medical records office. And I think because it was peacetime at that time, it was kind of different than I think a lot of people expect, especially civilians when they ask me about my military service. Because for me, after a year, I had an apartment off base and a car. And so it was like just going to work, you know, but I was in a uniform. And a lot of people are surprised by that, but it was a different time. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have the threat of mortars, you know, over, thank God, over, you know, Great Lakes, Illinois. So it was just like having, you know, going to work, doing my job. In fact, I didn't even wear my uniform to work. Um, Once I transferred into the pharmacy and became, started doing pharmacy work, I didn't even have a uniform. I had a tech jacket that I wore for the top of my uniform. So I would just come in, change, and we had this little room that we could go change in and with lockers. And it was so much just like having a job, but it was like, the military and in uniform and all of that, but it was very, very chill (laughs) as far as most people would be concerned. It sounds like your experience was really similar. Yes. And actually at my second duty station, I worked in a health and wellness center and they had a separate uniform. So I wore a polo and like khaki pants. So, (laughs) so even less military, like, because it's, yeah, I I feel that I felt like that when I was in the pharmacy, um, dispensing meds, I, I definitely felt like it was more like a job that I did, but I just happened to be in the military, but my whole life was really civilian, like, except for, you know, having sworn my life to serve my country. Right. So what was your first duty station like for you? What was the experience like? Like I said, I I was doing clinical work. So I did inpatient nutrition assessments and I, I, I really did forge very close friendships at that duty station. And those people, I, those other two dietitians, I still, still stay in very close contact with. So we were all kind of new to the career field, new to the military, and we did inpatient work. We did outpatient work. We, we worked in the wellness center as well. And we got to do a lot of different things, a lot of different clinical experiences because we saw so many different types of patients. That's amazing. And so from there you went to Florida. I went to Florida. I was at station at Tyndall air force base. And that, that really was my favorite job I've ever had (laughs) because I was in charge. Yes. I was in charge of all the nutrition programming on the base And so I worked, they called the health and wellness center, the Hawks, and we had a fitness center on site. I did group and individual nutrition counseling. I did cooking demonstrations every month, and we just had a really good group of people to work with and loved it. I was living on the beach, so (laughs) it was wonderful. And oh, and there I I won an F-15 fighter ride. So I, I... 
I won a base award, the company grade officer, the quarter award for the entire base. And part of that package was a F-15 fighter ride. So it was awesome. That's exciting. <laughs> I actually took a, um, I actually had a plane ride a couple of years ago. It wasn't in the military, but it was an old military plane from World War II. And mm-hmm. I got a chance to go up and it had the open cockpit <laughs> and I have an experience in that plane. Of course, I thought I was going to die the whole time, but it was so fun. <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. So I can just only imagine what your experience was like. That that must have been so cool. It was. I, I tried to prepare myself. I went on a bunch of roller coasters to get ready. <laughs> And the, the pilot, he took off and he did a barrel roll on the way up and that didn't phase me. I was, it was fine. But then we, we flew from Florida up to Georgia to do our maneuvers and just that, that flight, I forget how long it was, but it was really hot. So the, the sun was beating down in that glass canopy and the, the minor adjustments, the plane gave me this low grade nausea. And so when we got up to the airspace to do the maneuvers, the pilot took off and did a pull. And I I don't know if we pulled three or four G's, but it was at that point I used my first puke bag. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. No preparing for that. No. (laughs) (laughs) This is really exciting, though. What an experience. So. So tell me about your military experience. What was your favorite? Was it like just being able to live on the beach or being in these warm climates that you loved most about being in the Air Force? What was your favorite thing? Oh, I think, I mean, that job was my favorite. So doing that kind of work in the wellness space, really in that environment with those people serving that clientele, it was just it was just my favorite. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, I love living on the beach. It was just the whole package. And just the, the work that I did. And that was the time that when 9-11 happened too. So we kind of had a big, huge shift between this type of work. And then they shut shut our clinic down for a good while. And then we were the shelter and security team for the, the clinic, the hospital clinic. And so we were garden doors and checking IDs. So that was a memorable time frame as well. Do you remember what, I guess this is, this is the wrong way to start that question because obviously you will. What were you doing when you found out about 9-11? Well, I was there in the wellness center. And like I said, we had a fitness center on site. And so they always had TVs going on in there. And so I was walking down the hallway and our exercise physiologist was in the the fitness room. We said, get in here. <laughs> so I came in and we, we just watched on the TV. Wow. I mean, I remember where I was. I was actually in the car and I heard it on the radio, which was really crazy. And then I got, I was, I wasn't in the military anymore. I was in active reserve at the time. And so I was just about to finish that. I, I finished that right after they didn't call me back in for 9-11, but I just definitely remember getting to the TV screen and going, oh my God, this can't be real. I was just in such disbelief. And then I remember seeing, I think probably the most traumatic thing for me, all of it was traumatic, but I just remember watching on the TV, people jumping out of the building. 
And I just thought, oh my God, like I was just so shocked and horrified. So, I mean, I'll never forget it. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to call me back in. They're going to call me back in, but I, I never got the call. And I knew prior to that, because at, I knew something was going to happen because our, our base was what had become the only training facility for the Navy for boot camp. And so we had been on high alert for over a year. So I knew something was broiling, a threat condition alpha. <laughs> we were on for a, a while. And then that happened. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to war. <laughs> right. And then of course we did for 20 years. So um, but yeah. So that's I would always find it interesting when people were actually on active duty when it happened and how they found out and what how you felt watching that, knowing that you were you know, well, you're on active. On on the base, they immediately shut everything down and they sent us home, actually the base that I was at, we were a training base. So they sent us all home and we had to be there on, they called it three ring standby. And of course that was the day before or the time before cell phones or mm-hmm. most people had cell phones. Right. And so there I sat at home for the rest of the week. And what do you do? You watch the news. And mm-hmm. it was mentally, I think the worst thing I, I could have done. I should have yeah. been down on the beach. If I had a cell phone, I would have, <laughs> I would have been down there at the end of the street. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how did life change for you after that? Serving in the military after 9-11, you mean? Yes. So they shut our clinic down and I just had two diet techs that worked with me and we had our exercise phys and some of our staff was civilian. But basically we had to shut our clinic. We didn't see any patients for a good while. And our staff kind of rotated through 12-hour shifts, checking IDs at the, the clinic. So they had one door entry and exit and all IDs were checked and it was a good while before we got to see patients again. Wow. So, so like you said, you guys became sort of like security Mm -hmm. and then, and then how long was it before they opened your clinic? It kind of gradually happened over time. So I was the, the officer. And so I got back to seeing patients, but the enlist, my two enlisted guys, they, continue to check IDs beyond that. So it was a gradual phase back in maybe a few weeks, maybe more. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. I understand. So what of all of your two duty stations did you find most challenging of your experience in the Air Force? I'd say at my first duty station, maybe interacting with some of the leadership in the hospital was probably the most challenging we had a flight commander that was difficult to communicate with. She had her mission for what she expected and anything outside of that was unacceptable. For example, we had one of my coworkers who was a young, young lieutenant and she had her wedding planned and we had a joint commission inspection coming. And so this flight commander was not going to let her go to her wedding. <laughs> So just kind of dealing with trying to appease her and letting her know that the other two of us lieutenants could handle it. You know, we could hand, we would cover for her (laughs) so that she could go to her wedding that she had planned. Oh my God. (laughs) 
Wow. I mean, but you it's funny because you you forget when you've been out for a while. I've been out for a while. I I've been out for 20 years now. And um you forget how you are a property of the United States government. I mean, you you know, but you forget how real that is until you're reminded of, guess what? You can't go to your wedding because your country needs you. I mean, we, life is still happening, though you belong to the government, but it does overshadow everything. So realistically, she may not have gotten to go to her wedding and that hits, right? <laughs> so what right. It, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I think the other gal and I really, I don't know, we were real vocal. We said it, it's just not fair to make her miss her wedding when what's she going to do when she's here? She's going to go to interviews with the Joint Commission inspectors, and we can do that just as easily. We we cover each other's floors all the time. We know the staff there. We can We can do it. So it was a real lesson in teamwork. I can imagine. And so uh, she got to go to her wedding. I hope she did. (laughs) That's good. That's amazing when you have a good team. And that's one of the things I loved about being in the military, because when you have my favorite department was the pharmacy hands down Melinda Scruggs and commander Hirsch. I think those two were leadership there. I mean, there were other, we had some other officers and stuff, but I think those two were like the standouts for me. And they just made that pharmacy run so beautifully. And it and it was it was a, a place you wanted to be, right? It was a place that um treated the the staff really, really well. It was kind of like a family, it was like a tight unit, and they just made it amazing. So when you do stick together and work together, it's awesome. Agreed. That that same team we sheltered through a hurricane at Keesler in Biloxi, Mississippi. And, uh, we, we sheltered for three days in a hospital and the same flight commander, she, I mean, the rule was when you shelter for a hurricane, you have to bring your own food and your own water for three days. And there were, I, there were 2,200 people sheltering in that hospital. And our flight commander said, we're going to feed these people. And we said, well, our last foods shipment didn't come before the hurricane. So what do you, propose we feed them. <laughs> so during the eye of the storm, we took a, a truck over to the commissary and basically looted the commissary and took all their pasta and sauce and bread and everything. And we had a spaghetti dinner for 2,200 people. Wow. You guys are brave. <laughs> you put, you put yourself in danger. I, I don't know. It's like, partly it's like, okay, I have to put myself in danger. <laughs> but the other part is like, but I fed 2,200 people. Right. So I don't know. That's a tricky one. <laughs> That's a tricky one. Yeah. It's a lot to ask, but then again, you are in the military and that's what you're there doing, putting your life on the line for, for other people. I, I kind of think that's mm-hmm. impressive that you guys did that. So I guess leadership, it, 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 it is the difficult thing for a lot of people. It, depending on which, which base you're at can be, you know, the challenge for a lot of people serving as well. I think good, good leadership, or at least leadership that is flexible or you can communicate well with really can make or break your experience in the military. And I've heard many stories now of people who ended their careers because they didn't have it. 
So mm-hmm. fortunately, you were able to work with your leadership there. And so you did seven years in the Air Force and then you transitioned out. Uh, what made you decide right. to leave the Air Force? Well, like I said, the last job I had was my favorite one. And I'd I'd probably still be there today if they would let me, but <laughs> they don't. Actually, the Air Force was going to go through a downsizing and civilianizing of the dietitian officer career field because it wasn't tied to a deployment mission. Mm-hmm. And so they had intent at that time to go from about 95 officers down to about 30. And I knew that I was probably going to have to cross train and probably be less competitive for promotion or get out basically. And I had been at a dietitian's conference a couple of years prior, and I had learned about the U S public health service opportunity And so at that point, I started to investigate. I always thought, you know, it might be a good fit for me, but I really wasn't kind of prompted to take that action until I learned about their plan to downsize and civilianize us. So I I learned all about it. I got all the policies. I they don't have recruiters like the military does to take you by the hand and help you through the application process. And it takes about a year or more to navigate that whole system. And so I just Mm -hmm. learned how, how to do it. Uh, There was a whole lot of trial and error in the process, but I finally was able to make it. And, and actually I was down to about two months prior to my exit date and I still didn't have a job lined up. So at that point I kind of expanded and said, I've got to find something because you find your own job in the public health service. And I was able to, I, I found a job opening with the U S department of agriculture's food safety. And I thought, even if I don't like it, I'll, I'll make the transfer and then I'll find something else later. So what drew you to the public health service initially? Initially, when I learned about the service, I just thought, Oh, that's interesting. But I really wasn't drawn to it until I was kind of feeling like I was going to be pushed out of my career field. But in the end, it turned out to be a perfect fit for me because it's uniform service like the military. And so you get Mm -hmm. to keep all your time in service and still get the same military retirement, but the mission is public health. And that really is more up my alley than the defense mission, I would say. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense knowing your background. So what kind of benefits did they offer for you to join? Uh, it's, it's all the same. Everything that a military ID card holder gets is the same that you get in the public health service. So you can access spaces, you can do space safe flights, you can, you know, you have the same medical, dental retirement. For certain specialties, they do have sign-on bonuses and retention bonuses and things like that. But for dietitians, they don't. They don't. So uh, did you get the position? I got the food safety one. And actually, yeah. So I, I'm from Illinois and the job that I took was in Chicago. It was in Lombard. Oh, nice. You may be familiar. I am familiar. (laughs) So I moved up there and I took a job doing in-depth food safety audits. And so I, my job was to go into meat, poultry, and egg processing and slaughter plants 
and do food audits. So I'd go into some of the plants and be there three, four weeks and do this in-depth food safety review. They have inspectors there day to day, but I would kind of go in and do another level of food safety checks. And a lot of the plants that I covered were on the west and the south side of Chicago. So you can imagine Mm -hmm. kind of the environment that I was in there, some unsafe yeah, you must have been kind of nervous going in and out of some of those areas, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you would be there for three weeks. So you could just commute home and there every day, but you had to to be right. there during the day. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I can imagine. So did you stay in that role or did you eventually find do a different job? So I stayed there for two and a half years in Chicago. And then I took a promotion into a regional public health trainer position. So I stayed with the same agency, but I moved to Atlanta. And then I did regulatory training basically for all field inspection personnel. So I trained people that used to do, that would do the job I used to do as an enforcement officer. And then I I trained veterinarians and frontline food inspectors and the retail folks. So I, I did primary job duty training or inspection personnel, basically. A lot of regulatory training and somewhat dry material. So I had to learn how to make it a little more fun. I can imagine. And I did that through for the remainder of my career. So I was, however many years that was, eight years or so. So you did 14 years in, in, in the public or health 12. service? 12 years? Uh, yeah, right. My math was a little off. Yeah, I did 14 years total in the public health service. Two and a half was in Chicago doing the enforcement work. And the remainder was as a regional public health training coordinator. That's what the job was called. So what was your favorite part of being part of the public health service? I really loved the public health mission. I did deploy with the public health service one time. So I deployed with them after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. And I went down to the Gulf Coast. And I deployed on behalf of the agency that I worked for. And so our mission was food safety. And so I took, we took bleach and baking soda and we were doing education on mold and things like that. We took our food safety mobile down to that area and we had activities for kids. We went to some of the local state and local fairs. We went in front of grocery stores and just were in education and um, prevention mode. So deployment, that sounds pretty mm-hmm. interesting, helping people in that way. I can imagine that the mission would seem really cool. Um, mm-hmm. That's always yep. important to me too. The mission, I have to be able to get behind the mission and, and then I'm happy. Yeah, the deployments are just different and they're usually two weeks. They used to be two weeks, but I think they're kind of expanding now to more like four weeks and they deploy for everything from hurricanes to earthquakes to presidential inaugurations to <laughs> COVID. Mm-hmm. So anytime the local public health system is overwhelmed, they will deploy officers. Interesting. So what do you think was the most challenging part of that career? So to transition from military to the U.S. Public Health Service, it is, it is a different culture. Mm-hmm. So I was working in and around many more civilians and my boss, all of my bosses that I had were civilians. And so there was an element of having to explain our personnel system to them 
help them to understand it, help them to understand the importance of promotions and what kind of language should be included in promotion packages and things like that. And also when I worked in Chicago, I was the only officer. There were no other public health service officers around. And when I was a trainer, we had different numbers, two to five officers in the area. So it's just a different culture in that you're not around officers. You don't have that kind of camaraderie that you get on a military base. If I don't understand that, I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, because my transition out of the military was into the corporate world. And I think my first position I had was with Granger, which is an awesome company, or at least it was then in the Midwest. And um, I had lovely people I worked with, but I just felt so out of place just because it, it was like a completely different world. And then as I went through my military career or my uh, civilian career in corporate America uh, there in the late 90s and early 2000s, I realized that the camaraderie is the thing that I miss the most from the military. I didn't think I'd miss anything actually. I mean, I did I didn't have the worst military experience, but I didn't have the best either. And um, I was happy to get out. I was happy at the end of my time in service to move on to another part of life. I wanted to go to college. I had different, I was quite young. So I I had different um, goals for my life. But I thought I was going to also work in corporate while I went to school. And it was difficult, that adjustment. So I completely understand. Um, Do you miss anything about it now that you're retired? Well, when I retired, I had two kids and became a stay-at-home mom. So that was even more of a culture shock, I guess. <laughs> that transition was um, just going from being a an 05 where everybody kind of listens to you to the mother of two preschoolers where they don't usually listen to you. <laughs> it's been a, a big, big change for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that I also understand (laughs) because when I left corporate, when I finally got a handle on the corporate thing and started working my way up and then I would do my, I always had these hobbies that I did on that were like performance related on the outside. So I was always sort of working two careers at the same time. And, um, when I finally left corporate, it was because I was pregnant. And I was very sick with my first one. And so then um, as a disabled vet, I'm also a disabled veteran, a lot of being pregnant really exacerbated a lot of the symptoms that I have. And because I have invisible illnesses, a lot of people don't understand it because you can't physically, like you can't see PTSD, (laughs) you can't see fibromyalgia. So people have a, a hard time. You can't see chronic migraines until I'm in bed with a migraine, right? So. People have a difficult time understanding that. And they all got worse when I got pregnant with my first child. And that triggered a lot of pregnancy depression, which a lot of people don't talk about. (laughs) But I was very depressed with my first one. And um, so I ended up leaving my career and then becoming a stay-at-home mom. And I actually was a stay-at-home mom for 13 years. So I left corporate and I was in charge of a department. So I totally understand <laughs> that that transition of 
um, feeling like I was running things and now I'm, you know, I'm this baby, I'm not running anything and I'm cleaning the house all the time. (laughs) So I definitely feel that the transition is hard. How did you manage your transition out? Well, I, I actually had my daughter not knowing for sure what my plan was going to be when I came back from maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So it was through my pregnancy that I was really evaluating. I mean, I was eligible to retire. And so I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I just don't know how I can manage parenting, (laughs) being a mother now that I have this kind of work that I do because when I was doing training, I might be traveling for two, three or four weeks at a time to another state and, you know, just trying to figure out some sort of childcare that would work with that along with the other times when I was at home, I would work from home most of the time, unless I was teaching a class in Atlanta. And if that were the case, then my work day was like 5 a.m. to five or 6 p.m. So I just was having a hard time seeing how, how I would find some sort of a childcare option that would meet, meet my needs. And I thought, well, I'm eligible to retire. I may just do that. So that's kind of how I came to that conclusion. And then I just started putting together the paperwork to do so. And so what was life like for you when you first retired? Oh, the blur of motherhood. <laughs> um, still, my daughter didn't sleep for a long time. We we did move from one side of Atlanta to the other. So we packed up our stuff and just moved to be closer to my husband's brother's family. So we live in the same neighborhood with them now. And then shortly after that, I had another child. So I have two kids fairly close together. And I mean, I was older. So I had my kids when I was 45 and 47 years old. And that brings its own set of issues, just dealing with high blood pressure during pregnancy and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I I had to do a fair amount of research on fertility treatments because we needed a little help in that department. Wow. That's, that's like a job in and of itself. When you, when you decide to have your children late and you, you need the support and everything like that. I mean, I do it. So, I mean, I would still have another baby. Okay. I think I got like three more years until I'm 50 <laughs> and, I will, and I, I will still have another baby. I just love it because what happens to me is my kids are spaced far apart. So I also have two, I have two boys and they're spaced far apart. And um, what happens is I start to forget how hard it was when they were little, but I really love the age of like three, four is really, I love newborns and I love like three, I don't know. I love it all. (laughs) And then I start to, I start to, cause then they get like six, seven. And then, and my kids uh, are super independent by that age. And so then when I start to think maybe I should have another baby, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, um, and well now I'm single. So now I have to, I have a whole process. If I'm trying to have another kid, I have to like meet somebody and go through all this stuff or whatever, but I would do it honestly. And I would certainly, um, do whatever was necessary. If I needed fertility treatment, I probably would have to have a surrogate because I only have one kidney. So it'd be a lot for me to have a baby, but I would totally do it. Totally do it. I think that when you're young, you have more energy as a parent. 
But when you're older, you have more patience. And I, I mean, well, sometimes, <laughs> not all the time, but sometimes. And, um, and I think there's a lot to be said for having your children a little bit later. And I fully enjoyed, I, I, I had my children when I, I started at 30. So for me, I felt like that was even later than a lot of my friends. And I think that, um, I made that choice because I wanted to really enjoy my twenties. Like I really wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. And, and nowadays I think it's pretty common. Women want to have careers they want to have get a lot of things accomplished and have a lot of experiences before they have their family, which, I mean, we really can do it all. So why not? And, and then there are these options like for fertility treatments and everything like that to help you if you need it. Uh, I mean, I know mm-hmm. that there's more risks, but if you have, you know, good care and, and everything like that, why not? Why not do everything? Why not eat life and then start your family? Because it's hard. <laughs> That is true. (laughs) And and you dedicate yourself to be a mom. It's really hard. And so this podcast and everything I do um, with the female veteran community and with London Real Academy and all the other stuff, fun stuff that I do on the side, this is what I call my encore career. Because I had my corporate career. I had my military career. Well, when you're a woman and you're in the military, it's like you're a cat. You have nine lives. You just keep having different experiences because you, you can, because you had that foundation of military service. I think we, we do a lot more than average women, I think, or most women, um, just based on having that military experience. What do you think? I agree. I agree. Yes. I just, even through the different jobs that I've had over time, you know, I was hospital wellness. Then I went to you know, regulatory and then training and, you know, then on to motherhood role. And then I, then I started business just because I felt like the stay at home momming wasn't giving me the mental stimulation that I needed. So yeah, that is a I mouthful. I am so glad you said that. Cause a lot of times women don't want to say that they don't want to just say, you know what? Cause being a mom is hard right? Taking care of a home, taking care of a husband, taking care of children is super hard work. It really is. But sometimes you need more than that. You're feeling like there's a like, and that is exactly how I was feeling. I went to college when my kid was small, my first son. So I did eight years of school. I got all my degrees. I got four degrees out of the way, right? While he was going to school. Cause I, but it was for me. That was my thing that I was doing for me. It was why I went to the military was so that I could go to university to begin with. So I got to realize that dream and achieve, you know, multiple degrees, but I kept going to school because I needed something to feel stimulated because I felt, you know, not like something was lacking, but almost, you know, like I needed more, like this was awesome, but yeah, I still needed something more. And I think being in the military sort of gives that to you. I think all women, a lot of women feel like that as well, but definitely if you served because you were doing so much, whether you were enlisted or an officer, whatever you were doing, you were doing so much. And it's, it's oftentimes difficult yeah, to agree. not have that, you know, stimulation. I'm so glad you said that. And let's talk about your business though. So you wanted some more stimulation and you developed your organization. So let's talk about it. 
Sure. My business is called The Karma Connection. And in this business, I create online courses. And so there's a lot of things that I've learned out about over time. And I felt like it was important to create courses to share that information with the world. I learned a lot transferring to the public health service. And so I have a course that talks about actually a lot of, since so many people don't know about the public health service, I have a lot of free training materials that just kind of educates people on what the public health service is. And if they hear about it and decide that it's something that they want to do, then I help them navigate that year-long application process. So I, I teach them what to expect, how to go about it, what not to do, what pitfalls to avoid, things like that. So that's one course that I have and one community that I serve. And I have a goal setting course and a challenge that goes along with that is called the Distinguished Life Challenge. And that's a free challenge that people can take to kind of get themselves on track when it comes to their life, kind of keeping it in balance. Because back when I was at that wellness center job, I went to a seminar and they had asked me to participate and be the the wellness trainer that day. And so I, I just, I thought I had a lot to bring and I, I did, you know, I shared a lot of information, but I learned that a lot of the people that were presenting that day, they also were showing me that my life was a little bit out of balance when it came to, you know, I had my health and fitness in check, but some of my finances and relationship things were maybe not on track. So I kind of learned this concept of goal setting where it keeps your life in balance. And so that's what the Distinguished Life Challenge is all about is to help people to, to see where their life may need to be nudged a little bit to, to get it into balance. Well, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, and these are two of the courses that you create. Uh, where can we find your courses if we want to join them? Sure. I have a link. It's the karmaconnection.com. And then if you do a forward slash my dash links, that will take you to all the different things I have available. And, and those aren't all that I have. I do have another course. It's called Kitty Activities Using Around the House Supplies. And so it's a course that I developed. It's short little videos of my kids doing activities using stuff we already have at the house. And it's just... Uh, I think there's probably 125 or so activities in the data bank so far. That was pretty incredible. So, thanks. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that you continue the mission. <laughs> like you keep helping people and 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 serving and serving. I think that's what we do too. Typically as veterans, I do it this way through the podcast and through the workshops that I put on. And you do it through creating these courses that can help people. I imagine that your course for the public health service could help a lot of people who are considering transitioning out of the military or who have recently transitioned out. There's a lot of people trying to decide what they want to do next with their life right now in general, especially with the state of the world. And I imagine that would be a good course to go see if that's a viable option for you. Yes. I have a Facebook group where people can go join it and I, I share tips, tricks, and just more information about the public health service. It's called USPHS Find Your Fit. And in that Facebook group, they can learn you know, even more about the public health service to see if it'll be a good fit for them. But definitely if somebody has, if somebody has less than eight years of active duty service and one of those commissionable degrees that's kind of al- allied health professions, those are some of the main 
qualifiers. Wow. I would definitely check that out if I were in that position for sure. It sounds interesting. And now I've learned a lot about the, the public health service in the last couple of months. Now I knew about the organization. I had a general idea of what it was, but now I know so much more about it. I didn't realize that it was like a, a uniformed service. That's what I didn't realize. And that it you deployed and, and you could retire and you could keep all your benefits and all of these things. So that is really, I mean, I might've gone that route <laughs> if I hadn't known, you know what I mean? So I'm really glad that you came to share your story of service there, both in the Air Force and, and in the public health service and everything you're doing now to help people. And I know there's a lot of moms out there a lot of veteran mothers who listen to this podcast and maybe looking for activities to do with their children at home from the things that they have without having to go out and buy. I think that's another really great course. So I'm so glad you shared it on the show today. And I want to ask you one more question. What advice would you have for your veteran sisters that are coming up behind you? I would say that self-education really is key to taking new direction because there's nobody really coming to save you. And Mel Robbins is an author and social media person. And that's, that's her thing. She said, nobody's coming to save you. I learned this in the military when I, it was time to put in for packages and awards. And I did a lot of the writing myself. I, I learned this as I went on my journey to transfer from the U.S. Public Air Force into the Public Health Service. There was no recruiter to help me. I kind of had to, to learn the way myself. At the end of my career, when I was facing infertility, I kind of had to learn all about it myself. And most recently, I found that in my entrepreneurial journey that you have to get out there and learn what's available. And part of that, um, one thing I didn't mention is that I started a, a different Facebook group for women warriors. It's called Women Warriors Connect. And the purpose of that group is to just kind of gather women warriors and also to share about other resources that are available. Just I'm learning kind of when I came out of the fog of motherhood, mm -hmm. <laughs> or early, early motherhood, I, I started learning about all the resources that are available to military and veterans. and I started together a resource directory of a lot of the resources that I've learned about that are free for military and veterans. So that's available through that Facebook group as well. It's amazing. I have a question I just thought of. You know, we were talking about, you know, becoming mothers later in life, right? And we talked just a little bit about infertility which I know is stressful and painful for a lot of women and about, you know, how women are choosing to have their, their family later in life. Do you have a course on how to go through the process of infertility because you're yes. a success story? You know, there are so many topics that I would love to create a course around. And that is one of them. I would like to, at some point, I had a really great facility here in Atlanta that I worked with. So they kind of led me along the way, but I have a course I want to make with my dad. He is a, he's a retired shoe repairman, but he has all his stuff out in his back shed. And I want to do a course on, I want to call it cobbler's apprentice. So there's, there's more courses than time that, <laughs> that I would like right. 
to produce unless somebody wants to come and watch my kids for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel that I did a course actually last year with a girlfriend of mine. It's an, it's an accelerated goal setting course. It helps you to achieve your goals faster because I work at accelerators at London Real Academy. Right now we're doing DeFi. So I'm teaching people crypto, but we've done podcasting and digital business and sort of a life accelerator course as well through the Academy with Brian Rose. If you don't know him, you can check out LondonReal.tv or LondonReal on YouTube and you'll get an idea of who I'm talking about and who I work with. So working with him, I learned a lot of training methods and I learned his method and I sort of curated it a bit with my style and um, the things I love about his teaching and the people he's learned from along the way. And I put that into a course, which I am going to be sort of donating to some of the not-for-profits that I I work with to help people. It needs a little bit of tweaking, I'm told, because there's not enough of me in it. It's too much. It's, it's called the Rose Method. So it's based on his method. So there's a lot of Brian in it, but I'm told that I need a little more of me in it. So I'm going to Got to shoot some videos for me to be more a part of it. But I get the love of creating courses is my point and how they can serve and help people and why you do what you do. So it's it's a lot of work. I I think I'm done with that one. But um, but I really love that that's what you do and that's how you help people. And I hope that people will go and reach out to you and and um, and learn some of these things from you. I definitely, I'd be interested in that infertility course just in case. So I'm just putting it out there, (laughs) there, tossing it out there. And I'm pretty sure a lot of women could use that help. So I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on the Female Veterans Podcast and sharing your experience in the military. It has been such a pleasure to connect with you today. Likewise, I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. And is there anything else you want to share before we wrap it up? I don't know. It's just, it's just my passion. When, when I was in the public health service, it was an additional duty for me to recruit or, or for to, yeah, basically re- recruit for the dietitian category. And so it's, it's my passion because so many people don't know. And mm-hmm. I just stumbled into that opportunity at a professional meeting because I saw somebody in a uniform I thought was Navy. And <laughs> so, I, you know, the, on their recruiting brochures, they call it the best kept secret. And so that just really is what I want is for anybody who is qualified and interested that they should know about the opportunity of the public health service so that they can choose whether or not it is something that they want to pursue. So. That's, that's the main thing is I want to share that. I love that. It's beautiful. And we can follow you along on Facebook and you're on Instagram, correct? I and am. so if we want to follow your journey and connect with you, we can connect with you that way and through your website, karmaconnect.com, right? karmaconnection.com. Connection. Right. Thank you. So, well, you know what? I will put that in the description of the episode as always. So if you're not sure where you can find this information, when you read what this show is about, I have like a description of karma and what we talk about on this episode. When you go to wherever you listen to podcasts, if you scroll down a little bit, you will find all of my 
information such as how to follow me on Instagram and Twitter and what resources that I'm recommending, such as Hope for Veterans and BurnPits.org and the Barbara Deer Diano Foundation and Passageways LLC, which are some of the not-for-profits that I work more closely with or champion. And you will also find Karma's information there. So you'll find her links, you will find how to reach out to her on Facebook and all of that good stuff if you're interested in that. So you'll find it all there. I want to thank you for coming on this journey with me. I appreciate you so much, everybody that listens and gives feedback. If you're listening on Apple, please give me a review. If you enjoyed the episode, those five-star reviews and ratings really help the show grow and spread. And I really appreciate you. And I actually am going to be moving this podcast. It's going to go to YouTube, but in audio form, right? So you'll soon be able to listen to it on YouTube as well, as well as Pandora, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Um, We're coming to IMDb podcasts very soon and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. So stay tuned. And I want to thank you again for listening. I love you guys. And I will talk to you next time.